Welcome to the Everything EC podcast. I am your host, Carla Ward, and joining me today is fellow Canadian and early childhood educator, Veronica Green. Veronica is a consultant in the early years sector. She inspires educators through her blog and many resources, and I am so excited to have her on the show today. Welcome, Veronica. I am very excited to be here again. I love coming on your podcast. So it's awesome. Oh my gosh. And you and I just connect so, so, so well. And we're going to be talking about a topic that I think has kind of fallen to the wayside because technology has taken such a um, front row, especially during COVID. But I think that we have when I say we, I mean us as early childhood educators have forgotten that, you know, things exist beyond technology sometimes that, you know, it's okay to still do go old school, shall I say. And that is documentation. Documentation can still be done without apps. Yeah. Well, I guess I I, I love technology. I'm not against technology. If anybody's heard me speak before, you know that that's how I feel. Like our son has always used a tablet. You know, I'm not against screen time. I'm, I'm all for technology because I see it as a tool to help. However, though, when it comes to like documentation. So when I was running my, when I was running a day home in Alberta, and the the childcare apps started to come out and our agency was asking us to start using them. And I was excited because I was like, oh, this might make my process easier, right? And it did, it did help. So we were using Story Park and we were able to upload our, you know, our observations and pictures. And because they had a relationship with the with those in Alberta, our framework was directly in there. So I could literally just click off things and connect it to the to the framework, which was amazing. It was awesome. You know, I found my 15 minutes before nap to like sit down, get it done and be done with it. However, though, over the years, as I've been thinking about it, when it comes to that, it kind of it gave me the sense that, oh, I got the the story up, the observation up for the day. I got the pictures loaded. I'm done. That mm-hmm. day is done. That documentation is done. And I never returned back to it. Now, there is benefits to doing that. That's a quick, easy way to to check in with parents, to a quick snapshot of the day, to advocate for what the children are doing that day. However, though, when it comes to documentation, part of that is asking, who is this documentation for? And like, who's going to be learning from it? So documentation is showing the process of learning from all the different protagonists, whether it's children, educators, or families. And so when we only use the childcare apps, that documentation, it, for my experience, felt like it was only for the parents. And so I missed out on key documentation for my own growth and for the children as well. Oh, I can so get where you're going with that for sure. Because I used to use Seesaw, which is a free version and it was fantastic, but definitely I can say without a doubt that I was posting on Seesaw for the parents. Yeah. And I I don't want to take away from that because it is important to do that. However, though, I think we're missing out on some key steps and And now I know a lot of the time it's also like, well, I don't have time to do any more documentation. I don't have time to do all these things. And I get that. But here's the other caveat that I'd like to say is that when I left the agency, I lost access to that story park app, which means I lost access to all of my documentation over the years. 
my now, gosh, recently, such a good point. because my child was in my program, he had a profile. I definitely, I figured out how to log back into my Story Park app and I downloaded every single piece of documentation I could find that I still had access to because that's really important information for me to have. But what I discovered too was that, so it's important to upload, do all that. But here's the thing. What's important is we learn how to use these apps to our advantage as well. I'm not saying to, you have to do that app, upload those things and then go, okay, well now I need to sit down and rewrite everything and do other stuff. It's like, no, here's what I learned. Find the apps when you've uploaded your stuff. See if you can go in and download that information as a PDF then have a system to start saving those so that you have your documentation as well, okay? So that you save it. And then you can use it to go back and look at it. At other points, you can start to make connections from previous experiences that you did with children. So part of documentation is also going back and reflecting on our learning experiences and seeing how our thought processes have evolved, either from the children's or from our own. And so when we only use the apps and we're just uploading, uploading, uploading every day and never returning to it, we're never going back to see what we did maybe at that same play experience back in March to maybe how our thought processes have changed now. The apps don't necessarily, from my experience, don't necessarily work well with that. It's very like quick as the day goes, but when we have access to previous documentation and we go, hey, we did that play experience a few months ago because it's important to repeat them, we can go back and say, what did the children do with that? What might we learn next time? What might we think they want to do? Show the documentation to the children. See mm -hmm. how they react to it. You, documentation is also to help you with your planning and you're responding to children's interest. So if we don't have that accessible to us because it takes us too long to scroll in the app or to even find it after that, then we're missing out on key opportunities. And that's what documentation is for. It's about making the learning visible, but it's also about understanding the process of learning and we need to return back to it. Yes. And I love what you're saying about making it visible because the thing is, is that in an app, that moment is visible to that child's parent. And yes, we have to be absolutely careful about confidentiality, make sure that, you know, we have the right permissions from children to make sure that we can have like their photos posted within our classrooms. Cause I know that some families have not allowed that in the past, mm -hmm. but how do you make it visible for people that come for a tour for admin who don't fully have the buy-in of play and following children's interests? How do you have it visible for the ministry when they come for licensing? How do you have it visible for other educators? And most importantly, how do you have it visible at a child's level in your classroom? So that's a lot of questions. So right? I, have, yeah. I have a couple, I have two thoughts on that. So the first is using the use of technology for the admin, for the parents, for educators, for tours, for all of that stuff. How can we incorporate technology, but in ways that we can keep updating the documentation and use it still as reflection? So one of those, I mean, I'm a big lover of Canva. And Canva is an online software program that educators can actually use for free. I think you just have to contact them. If you're an educator, you can get an account for free. You can get an account for free, but you want to get the pro account. And Canva allows educators to do that. So you just have to contact them. But what Canva does, so all the artifacts that we collect, right? 
audio, video, photos, observations, all of that stuff, right? We collect all of those. Canva allows us to use all of those artifacts and we can create online like newsletters. We can create online presentations. So we can organize all of our stuff in there, showcase the documentation, use what we've put in the, in the apps. Like I said, download it as PDF, save that information. Don't just store it in there. Have a, have a system for it. And then you can like share links or um, links to those designs that you've made and parents can view them. You can send them to admin or even like blogs. If you're allowed to share it online through a blog, you can update a blog, right? You can keep adding to it. You can keep going back and looking at it to make that learning visible and keep adding your new reflections. So use technology, but in ways that we can keep updating it and easily return to it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I love it. Yes. Yeah. So like yes. even face Facebook groups, those aren't the easiest to go back and update unless you're like highly understanding how to use the um, guides in Facebook groups. And even then that's a pain. So like Facebook groups are awesome, but it's not easy to go back and look at what you've done. They're great for communicating and for giving quick snapshots. That's great. But there's other ways we could do that. Like as a documentation panel, that's like the old school up on the wall, right? But we're trying to create a digital version of a documentation panel by using maybe a blog, if you're allowed to, or Canva, you can get the links and you can keep that private. You only share it with those that you want to have it. So there are ways to do that. There's how can we use technology in an old school <laughs> kind of way? Canva, and I'm sure there's other programs, but I'm just a lover of Canva. I'm you totally can, a lover of Canva, yeah. You can use all of those artifacts and really make the learning visible. And what's also important is that the apps, they do allow for that very engaging, consumable content. And that is what we need with parents. They have very limited time to look at things, right? So the apps allow it to keep it quick. They get push notifications, all that kind of stuff, which is wonderful. But even too, when we're using like Canva or however you're, whatever you're using, you can make it consumable. You can make it easily and engaging by using video and text and animations and music and even hear the audio recordings of the children. Mm -hmm. Parents are going to want to hear that stuff Absolutely. and not always just read things. And that's, I love documentation panels on the walls, although I'm also like, let's be mindful about how much stuff we're putting on the walls because that's sensory stimulation that children have to pay attention to or not pay attention to. So it's like, how can we use technology to our advantage for that? And especially keeping in mind that documentation is something that we should be returning to, helping us influence our responses to children's interests and to keep helping us as researchers to understand how children are making sense of their world and how we can grow in our own practices as well. What can we learn from the documentation? Now Absolutely. to go back, go back to your other question of the children when they're looking at documentation. This is where I love panels, but they can be very visually stimulating. And as I just said, any like Anything that's in a room, a person, child, adult, whatever, has to decide whether or not to pay attention to that or not pay attention to it. So if we're going to put documentation up in the rooms, who is this documentation for? 
Is it for the children, educators, or the families? If it's for the families, is that the best place for it? Is that where they're going to consume it? I've done lots of documentation on the walls and the parents walk right past it because they're just like, get the child. We got to go. We got something else to get to. We got to get dinner on the table, right? Um, not, not every family is going to be like that. But if we're going to have it in the rooms, how can we make it engaging for the children? What makes sense for them? Bigger pictures, right? Maybe they're in like protective pouches because you know they're going to want to take it off the wall and look at it. You know, bigger text of their quotes, you know? So it's like, that's an addition to, you know, what you may have online or on a panel as well, right? Like use your artifacts and duplicate them. Don't You don't need to make like 30 different pieces of documentation. Mm-hmm. Like how can you be efficient, time efficient, because time is precious in our uh, profession. Ain't Very limited. <laughs> I used to have like a big um, binder with those little protective slips. And I used to write a letter to a different child every week with something that they had done. And we would have it. And then because I taught kindergarten, I had some readers. So they would read the letters to each other. Or, you know, there would be a quote or just a photo. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm a big fan of the web's. Um, I would have a giant web and the kids would be like, Miss Ward, I'm really interested in tigers. Can you put that on the web? I'm very interested in tigers. And then the tigers would go on the web. And so it's, you have to know your students as well, because you're absolutely right. Because if you're putting documentation and you're saying it's for the children, well, then you have to reflect and see, is it in fact for the children or am I doing it for myself? And, And that's okay if it's for yourself. But you have to be aware so that you do it for yourself or do it for the child because it's very different types of documentation. Yeah. Now, I also know that in every setting is different as when it comes to like the expectations slash rules of how much documentation you have to do. I mean, I remember when I worked at a large center where where every room was required to do two pieces of documentation a week. So I had to edit 16 pieces of documentation a week. We were never able to get that done. The expectation of it was completely unrealistic. And that was, this was like, I don't even know how many years ago, we were still short-staffed then. Now it's like a whole different ballgame out there. So if you have the ability to speak with your director or if you're a director listening to be like, are my expectations in line with this documentation for what we can actually achieve because otherwise it it did feel like at that time that it was just something we had to get done on the list and, and it's that's not authentic not, that's not documentation that's that's just a task there was no learning there was no reflection we never returned to them we never looked at them again never never sat down at team meetings to be like okay What's been going on in your in your room? Oh, what's so-and-so been up to? What did you learn from this experience? We never had that dialogue. And that can happen with documentation in team meetings. That creates conversation and new understandings and connection between fellow educators. And then that creates that co that co-learning, co-constructed experience. And that also reflects our images of educators that were researchers. Right. So it just it creates so many opportunities when we use documentation in many different ways and not just a I got to get this done. Have I been there? Yes. Oh, you and me but both. 100%. I've had some years to reflect on it and I'm going, how can I what can I do to actually get 
into what I think, what I now know as to what documentation is. And that will change over the years as well. But where I'm at right now in my learning with documentation, I'm going, oh, I could have done things so differently, but I didn't know then. And that's okay. Absolutely. Um, It's part of the learning journey. And and we do have to give ourselves grace. And the thing is, is certainly I noticed the shift that when you do switch to authentic documentation, you get to know the students in your program on a much, much deeper level. And you're able to meet their needs on that deeper level. And there's this magical shift that happens in the classroom and play. And it's just, it's transforming. Yes. And I, I think too, sometimes I know myself, it feels like, well, how do you know what to document and not what to document? (laughs) It's like, because everything's important. It feels like that. And I think I just wrote a blog post on this and I said, you know, I felt like the paparazzi where I'm like, Hey, so Sarah or Sally, whatever, stand here and stand by your tire tower. Now say cheese. It's like, click, 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 right. Like, and you're trying to get all these photos of them or you're constantly standing over top or nearby taking photos. Eventually the children in my program, they got used to me taking photos. I got pretty good at not interrupting them by going, Oh, click. I took a lot of photos to be able to get used to it. But it can definitely feel like you're a little bit of the paparazzi sometimes or you're constantly taking photos. So I think it's important to capture those proud moments of children being proud of their towers and sending those to parents. I think it's important. But I guess if you look at how many of your photos you're taking throughout the day, I'd be asking, were there moments I could have taken video or audio instead so I didn't have to hold the camera or the iPad? the entire time um and then also kind of just like well why did I take these photos what made it think what made me think that that was an important moment to capture so just that reflective piece as well and I mean this is where the old school I wish I had done this as well I was talking with a pedagogical leader at a center I was mentoring at for a while and we were like, let's get audio recorders. Let's go old school. Let's just have them sit there so that the everything gets recorded. The word for words of what children are saying are getting recorded. Because when we write it down, we tend to still write it probably grammatically correct, whether or not the children say it like that. Um, or we can forget what really happened. Sometimes what happened to what was in our memory is not actually what happened. So using like an audio recorder is wonderful. Video is great too. But that can eat up a lot of storage. So if you're going to do video, I would suggest like, what do I intentionally want to video, you know, for for half an hour, for an hour, because that can be up a lot of storage. And then you can return back to it. But there's so many other artifacts out there that I don't think get utilized as much. And then just that reflection on why am I choosing these moments? Why do I think this is important? What am I learning from them? And then going okay, now what do I do, right? Like, you know, what do I think they're learning? What questions are they trying to understand? How can this impact my response to their interests? How can this impact my relationship? The conversations, what questions could I have asked? Oh, for sure. And I've done it in preschool and I've done it in kindergarten. I'm not sure it's doable in say, like, well, it's definitely not doable in infants or toddlers. But I mean, if your center is able to afford an iPad Um, I know that with Seesaw, 
we actually um, had the children do their own documentation mm -hmm. on some things. And it was very cool because you'd go back at the end of the day and you've got this like terrible fuzzy photo of a, of a tower. But the children were able to record their own video. And in 2022, with YouTube being so front and center in so many children's lives, they do a better job at presenting their towers than we do because I'll be like, Hey guys, this is my tower. This is how I built it. And all of a sudden, like, I mean, it cracks you right up because it's as if you're watching YouTube, but they know how to, yeah. you know, sell the tower. Yeah. And it's quite something because it speaks to their language. You look at how they developed their math while they were building the tower. And mm -hmm. it really is. They did the documentation for you. And you got further documentation because you heard them explaining it. Yes. Yes. I like that you added that. I think that's wonderful. I know having the children do their own documentation is key too. I've been, since we've been homeschooling, I've been having our son do that. And it's interesting to go back and watch the video of what he's captured, what he thinks is important and how he records it. Yeah. Now, when you said like, if you can afford a tablet, I think what's awesome now in 2022 is that before back years ago all there was was the ipads and they were very expensive now everybody has a tablet that is somewhat sort of affordable are they the best out there no but everybody there's like some sort of hundred dollar tablet out there that can be used to record and you know collect audio photos video get a notes app use google docs and you can you can collect things. There are some pretty inexpensive things. Even like the audio recorders, you can use voice memos on the tablets now. You can buy and you can buy an actual voice recorder, but you can just use voice memos on phones, and then you can just um, send them to wherever you're going to. Here's the other thing I think that's really important that doesn't get talked about is having a system for documentation. I think it's and that's what helps save the time. Mm -hmm. is when everybody is is so everybody's collecting the artifacts but everybody has a different organizational system or you don't even have one so when you do get to sit down and do your documentation you spend half your time looking for the photos that you need instead i like to use i'm a i like to use uh my google drive my i mean you can get one for free with a google account 15 gigs that's a good amount to start with um but you can do that. And so I use like a folder and subfolder and sub subfolder system. So like, here. <laughs> yeah, and then even more folders sometimes. But I'm what I love is because like I have it on my phone and my computer, everything that I have on my phone, I'm now going, okay, at the end of the day, I'm taking those photos, I select them all and I upload them right to the Google Drive. Am I doing anything with them at that time? No, but they're there and they're waiting for me and they're organized to when I have time to go back and look at them and look at my observations, as well as even your observations, Google Drives, iCloud, OneDrive, whatever it is. Create a system so that you can collect all of these things because it's a lot faster to copy and paste out of a Google Drive into your newsletter, your email, anything like that. Even into apps, you can copy and paste mm -hmm. off your phone and go into the app and paste it's a lot faster than trying to rewrite your observations. And what's even cooler too is with um, 
If you take a picture of your written notes, so say you like to use a notepad, if you take a picture of that, throw it into your Google Drive. When you go to open the image, you say open with Google Doc, it will translate your words into text. It does not. I just discovered that. Now, you will have to clean it up a little, you know, and, and you know, refine it a little, but you're not starting from scratch. That is brand new information. I just thought of it the other day. So, and I tested it out. And so I took a picture of like all of this text that I had on a full eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And I, and I opened it with Google docs and the image is there. Plus all the text is below. Like I said, you have to clean it up a little, but you're not starting from scratch. Right. So that's time saving. So if you have a system for your photos and your videos, then you have something for your observations. You can be like, okay, I can now get back into what am I actually trying to do? You can have more time to do that reflective piece. What are the children trying to to tell me? Mm -hmm. All of that stuff. So, and then even too, like the audio recordings and the video, use something like if you're at a center, this is where you should have a discussion with your team. Okay. What's our system for documentation? What are the time consuming tasks that take? Because we get such limited time to do this, if you even do get time. What tools can we invest in as a center that will help us do this? And some of those things might be like a tablet or a Google Drive to get more storage or um, a program that you can upload your MP3s or videos into and get the transcripts done automatically. Like Otter AI does that. I use that. So I throw throw all my videos in there or MP3s in, and it will give me a full transcript of everything that's said. And you're not starting from scratch. And you can copy and paste those quotes that the children are using. It will show the different speakers. So like you can go in and, you know, fix it and, and copy and paste. There's tools out there to help make it more time efficient. And that's just it. Efficiency has to happen because what... And to your point of communicating with your team, what I really think needs to be at the forefront of, you know, our thinking is yes, documentation is important. It's very important for the children's learning, but it cannot be the only thing you are doing in the program all day because you're going to miss the connection with the students. If you are constantly taking photos and writing down what the children say, they are observing you just as much as you are observing them. And they are going to see that everything they're doing is being written down. So they're going to be more wary on what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And you can't form a connection when you're behind the camera all the time. So yeah. it's planning, not necessarily when you're going to do your documentation, but if you notice something going on, communicating to your teaching partner, if you are in an opportunity to be in a co-learning space, and make sure that that educator is not documenting documenting at the same time you are so that the children are able to get that connection somewhere at all times. Yeah. And that's, that's to where I really wish I had utilized audio recorders a lot more or the voicemail on my phone, because I can just turn that on and set it down and walk away. And nowadays they can pick up sounds from all over the place. So, and then I can go back, right? And then I can throw that MP3 file into Otter AI and I can get the full transcript done. And I'm not sitting there going, having to re-listen, going backwards and forwards, rewinding and fast forwarding to see like, oh, what did they say? What did they say? It's like, no, I can do that. Then I can take that audio clip, throw it into Canva and I can 
edit it into a specific part that I want, maybe with a photo that I have or an art picture or a quote from the child, and I can put that learning together. So when we have these systems and we use these tools, we can spend more time on interacting with the children, right? More meaningful. And it can also mean that we can spend more time in the actual process of making sense of the learning and the documentation piece instead of finding the photos and, you know, rewriting the observations from paper into computer, or we can spend more time on the actual process of documentation than trying to collect everything and put it together and then just get it done and move on. Because I have a feeling that's what the majority of us are doing and understandably, but it's like, how can we can, how, what steps can we take to move towards being in that more process of learning and reflection and trying to understand how can we get more into that than all of the busy work that is very time consuming, but what systems can we put in place as well? Absolutely. Because if we're just doing it as a, you know, something to be checked off, it does just sit in your drive. It just sits on a desk. It just sits on a wall. I mean, the number of times I've walked into a classroom where, you know, the documentation hasn't changed in months and months and months, not because documentation hasn't been done, Mm -hmm. but because the educator has not had time to switch it out. But it's about putting those systems in place and having a conversation with admin and self-advocating. I mean, admin doesn't always think that, you know, you need 30 minutes every week to sit down and do this documentation. We don't want you doing it at 11 o'clock at night on your own time. That's not the plan. Um, And because then it does become a tedious task instead of a learning opportunity for the educator and a growing opportunity for the educator and the children. I, yeah, I think too, it's also important to note that some, I think we can get a little too much in our heads about documentation and worry about, are we doing it right? And I think it's important to just go, okay, I've got these quotes. I've got these video. I've got this audio and pictures. What do I think they're trying to say? What reflective questions can you use to help guide your thinking? And just trust that that's what you should be doing at that time. And that it's there is no right way or wrong way to do documentation, really, as long as you are trying to figure out what the children are trying to make sense of and how is it helping your growth and how is it helping relationships and how is it helping you respond to children's interests. That's the point of documentation. So it's it's trying to get out of our own heads that it always has, it doesn't always have to be like an assessment style or proving that we're doing something with children, right? Absolutely. And it informs the next step, right? It informs Mm -hmm. what's next. If the children are, you know, crushing chalk, what did you learn from that documentation? What are they doing with the crushing chalk? Is it the actual action of crushing or is it that they were pretending to make tea? Because that determines the activity that you do next. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I remember there was a podcast I was listening to from Awaken Awakening to Reggio, and it was about documentation. And I forget her name right now. She had just returned from the Reggio Emilia Centers, and she said that um, there was a binder out on the table, and it was for children, for educators, for families, for anybody, and it was it was a a binder filled with 
all of the experiences they've done with clay. And so there was children's pictures, the quotes, educators' questions about what the children are trying to experience. And it didn't, I mean, I didn't get to see it or anything like that from, but from what I got from the conversation is that it didn't seem that there was a, an end goal with it. It was, this is what we've been doing. These are our thoughts, our ideas from when we started exploring with clay to where we are now. And that's what it is. There's, there's no like outcome or end goal. It's just, here's what we've been thinking and doing. I love that. And so I think that that can take the pressure off of what is it supposed to look like? Am I doing it right? When it's like, just start collecting the pictures and the the questions and including your questions. You know, what do I think the children are trying to take from this? What have I taken from it? Add that to it. That's one page. The next page is another exploration, right? Like I think it's, I, I see as that it's like a really, takes the pressure off of what we think documentation is supposed to be yes oh I love that so so much now if you were to make a recommendation on one thing that people could do you know right out of the gate with their documentation what would it be I say create a system if you don't have a system you're going to be wasting your time or not wasting spending time on things that you probably don't need to that so that you can spend more time on the actual reflection and understanding the process of learning and that's where our focus should be so if you don't have a system for collecting and organizing then you spend most of your time doing that before you get to and that's what I think what turns it into this I just need to get it done and it's a task and a checklist yes. instead of documentation can be very rejuvenating in our practice because it's a chance to go back and go wow look at what we did Wow. Look at what I learned from this. So I would say create a system because it will open up time and opportunity to move forward to what documentation truly is. Love that. Now, Veronica, how can people connect with you further? Well, you can find me at my website, cultivatingconfidence.ca. Um, I'm also on Instagram and kind of on TikTok, kind of. I, I spend most of my time on Instagram and TikTok. And then too, the best way is also to just join my email list. So if you go on my website, there's lots of opportunities to opt in and get free guides or uh, just join the list. And I send out a weekly email, new blog posts, all that kind of stuff. My reflections, reflective practice. So that's the best way to connect. Yeah. Amazing. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the Everything Easy podcast and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you so much for having me.